In November of 1982, President Ronald Reagan sent Vice President George Bush Sr. to represent the United States at the funeral of former Soviet leader Lenevid Brezhnev. Bush was deeply moved by a silent protest carried out by Brezhnev's widow during that memorial service. She stood motionless by the coffin for a long amount of time until seconds before it was closed. Then, just as the soldiers touched the lid, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope. A gesture that most surely ranks as one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience ever committed. She reached down and made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest. There, in the citadel of secular atheistic power, the wife of the man who ran it all hoped that her husband was wrong. She hoped that there was another life and that life was best represented by Jesus who died on a cross and came back to life and that the same Jesus might yet have mercy on her husband. We've been asking a really important question in our lives as believers and as followers of Jesus Christ at Cheney Faith Center all this year. The question is this, what do I believe? Now at Easter, when we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, there's no more important question than what do we believe about Jesus? What do we believe about his death? What do we believe about his resurrection? Is it real? Is it fake? Is it a myth? Is it a story? Is it just some religious jargon? What is this that we believe and that we hold to and that, and that has changed the lives of you and I today? See, every one of us has the God-given right to believe whatever we want. God's done that. He's given that opportunity to every single one of us. But we also have the right to believe whatever we want about Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we believe Jesus came back to life to set us free and that he died a horrible death on a Roman cross. Now, why do we believe this? Why do we believe this near impossible act actually happened? Well, it's a combination of two things. It's a combination of historical events and eyewitness accounts and our faith. Those two things linked together are what help us understand who Jesus is, whether God's word is true, and helps us believe in heaven. Now, believing in Jesus' death and resurrection, it has a large probability. It's not a small probability. Sometimes people think, you know, the idea of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, I mean, you gotta have a huge amount of faith for that. It's like, it's probably like 90% faith and 10% facts. That's actually not true at all. It probably sways the other direction. It's more like 90% fact and about 10% faith. What else is interesting is almost every single historical event and historical person, we use this same sort of objective understanding between facts and faith about those individuals. We can't see the historical person or the event today. We've never seen those things happen. So we read the facts from historians. We read stories from eyewitnesses, and we make a decision about that event or that person and whether or not we want to believe those historians 
and that eyewitness account. And that's what we do every single day when we study history. So believing in Jesus is just as rational as believing in Julius Caesar or Cleopatra or Genghis Khan. We do the exact same study to get to the same facts and faith. Now, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, the Bible tells us that the Christian faith is just a foolish fantasy. But if the resurrection of Jesus did occur, then it confirms some very, very important things. It confirms Jesus' life on earth. It confirms his message and his teaching. It confirms his death and his resurrection, and it becomes the basis of hope for life here on earth and for eternity. And because Jesus is alive, we believe that the evidence is overwhelming. And as we look at some facts this morning about Jesus' resurrection, I hope that you'll be able to say as you leave, I believe Jesus is alive. Here are some of the reasons that we believe Jesus is alive. The first one is that Jesus predicted his own resurrection. This is one of the things that Jesus said often. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life. Now, right off the bat, you may say, well, I'm not sure I, I believe things that people say about themselves. Like, that's kind of a hard one, you know? We don't always do that. And I agree with that statement. Most of the time, it's a tough sell to say that somebody says something about themselves and then we're going to believe it. Like if somebody says, if, like if an athlete says, a quarterback says, I'm going to, I'm going to work, our team's going to win the Super Bowl. Like you could believe that. Like they might have a good team. They might have a good quarterback. They've got good players. And so you're like, that's totally possible. Unless you're talking about the Seahawks, then it's not. But, but you could totally rationally make sense of that in your mind. But we're not talking about a simple game. We're not talking about something easy that we could accomplish as humanity. We're talking about somebody rising from the dead. Now, let me put that in a historical perspective. How many people had risen from the dead before Jesus? Zero, right. How many people have risen from the dead after Jesus? Zero, right. So we're talking about a pretty big probability here, aren't we? This is huge. So we're not talking about just any fact that Jesus is portraying about himself. We're talking about a monumental, miraculous, unbelievable thing that has got to happen in order for him to be believed. Let me put that in perspective for us in our modern day. Let's say someone that you know, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe a family member says to you, I'm gonna build a rocket in my backyard and I'm gonna orbit the sun next year. Now, the first thing you'd say is what? You're nuts. You are a couple French fries short of a Happy Meal because that is not happening. But if it did, like he really built a rocket in his backyard and he really orbited around the sun, then you'd be like, whoa, I need to change my mind about this person. Same thing is true for Jesus. As you think about and contemplate the facts of the story that we'll talk about this morning and the fact that he said it and he did it, you have to rethink it because it's so miraculous, because it's so awesome, because it never happens. You have to rethink if this really happened, then Jesus really is who he says he is. And that means I need to make a decision about who, who Jesus is to me. The second reason that we believe that Jesus 
rose from the dead is that the Old Testament prophesied it. Now you're maybe like me sometimes, you're like, I, want, I, need, a, I need a bunch of people to tell me something before I believe it. Well, that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is a whole bunch of people that said that the Messiah would come back to life, and he did. Hundreds of people, tens of people, 20 people, 30, all the prophets declared that Jesus would come back to life and he did. So now we have lots of people before Jesus was alive, a thousand years, 800, 600, 400, that all said he would come back to life and he did. So Jesus said it, prophecy said it. The third reason is the tomb was empty. One of the reasons that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead is we can't find his body. And not just that we can't find his body today, but they couldn't find his body the day after he came back from the dead. Now, why is that significant? Well, let's put, some, let's, let's put ourselves just for a minute back in first day century. So the, the leaders of the temple, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they, they did not want this story about Jesus coming back to life to be out there. So all they would have had to do very easily is produce his body. Now that would have not been hard to do. I don't know if you knew this or not, but it, when the Romans wanted to find out some information, they could do it very quickly. Now why could they find out information very quickly anywhere in the Roman Empire very fast? Because they're willing to kill everybody and anything to get that information. So if they wanted to find a dead guy that somebody hid somewhere in somebody's basement in Jerusalem, they'd find it out really fast. Let me also remind you that um, this wasn't a time, the technology wasn't there to like go put Jesus' body on a Learjet and head off to Argentina somewhere. And now he's hidden with Hitler somewhere in Argentina, right? This isn't happening. If you're going to get away quickly, you're going to get away on a horse. That puts you about what, half a day away? Not very far. So if Jesus, if you want to produce a body very quickly, it would have been very simple and very easy to do. And you could have squelched everything that would have, was taught in the scriptures, prophesied about, and that Jesus declared. But the tomb was empty and Jesus was only to be found by his disciples. The fourth thing is that many people saw Jesus alive after his death. Over 500 people saw Jesus alive after he was dead. They looked at his face, they touched him, they heard his voice, and they saw him eat. The fifth reason is the lives of the disciples were revolutionized. Let me remind you that before Jesus' resurrection, just a couple days before Jesus' resurrection, the disciples have fled in fear, and most of them are denying Jesus to people like middle school girls. Most of us aren't scared of middle school girls, unless you're a middle school boy. Then you're terrified of middle school girls. But most grown men are not terrified of middle school girls, but Peter was. I mean, he couldn't even get the words out. He was petrified from a middle school girl hanging out by him around a fire. But as soon as Jesus is risen from the dead and he sees Jesus with his own eyes, even death can't sway him. I mean, he's super excited to die, in fact. Historic, historians tell us that Peter was thrilled to die on a cross himself. The only thing he asked for is that, he, that they would turn it upside down because he wasn't worthy to die right side up like Jesus did. He was willing to die for Jesus. And everyone was after they saw Jesus alive. 
and he came to live in their hearts. Another reason is the resurrection was the central message of the early church. The central message of the early church for for the first century, second century, and even today, all the way now, 2,000 years, this has been the central message of the church today, but also of the early church. What that means is the church of Jesus Christ grew rapidly and with great conviction about Jesus who had risen from the dead and was Lord of the church. This was their message. This is what they believed. This is what they put their stock in. This is what they put their heart in. This is what they were going to die for. And tens of thousands of people died in the first through third centuries because they believed that Jesus came back to life. Now, ordinarily, we would not say or, or use that as an argument that because somebody dies for something that they believe in, that it's... it's um, reason to believe that that's the truth, right? We don't always make that as an argument, but I believe we can in Christianity, and here's why. Because we have millions of people that have died for their faith. Not a couple, not a few radical people. We have millions of people over time that have died for their faith. Now, why would millions and millions of people, and by the way, about 10,000 every single year, even in the recent decades, are dying for Jesus and dying for their faith. Why would you do that? Why would we have that evidence and that track record over that many generations and over that many years and that many people? Because when Jesus comes to live in your heart and he comes alive in your soul, you're completely new and you're willing to die for Jesus. In fact, it becomes one of the things that we can adamantly say, one of the reasons that I follow Jesus and that I am for sure a Christian is I'm willing to die for him because I know that he lives inside of me. He's changed my life. And so one of the central messages of the early church was the resurrection. Another reason that we believe in that Jesus came back to life is because of one of the stories early in the first century that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they gave the guards at the tomb a large sum of money to lie. And their lie was this. They lied and said that the disciples stole the body out of the tomb during the night while they slept. Okay? Now, why would that be a reason that the resurrection is true. Let me explain. The reason you pay someone to lie is because you don't want people to know the truth. The reason you pay someone to lie is because you can't disprove the truth. So the Pharisees lie and bribery reveals the truth. But there's also some really big holes in this story. Let me give you two main ones. The first one is this, sleep. How many of you are are heavy sleepers? Raise your hand. Heavy sleepers. Okay, four or five of you in the room. So we would say that um, if there's something happening right next to your head, like let's say like five feet from your head and it's fairly loud, let's say it's like, like 75 decibels, you might still stay asleep. Possibly, okay? Maybe. So if you were moving about a 1,000 pound rock next to your head, do you think you would wake up? 
I think the probability is probably true that you would wake up. Now, the problem is not all of the guards would have been heavy sleepers. I'm sure there were a couple light sleepers in the group that while, the disciple, while they were asleep and the disciples were moving a gigantic 1,000-pound rock of which they made no sound to wake anybody up, that seems a little far-fetched, doesn't it? The second reason is this. Here's the story. The guards were to tell this story in public. While we were sleeping, the disciples stole the body. Any of you that are really light sleepers or heavy sleepers, let's just say any sleepers, anybody, anybody in their life that has ever fallen asleep in your life been able to see something that you were asleep for. <laughs> Anybody know where I'm going with this? If you're asleep, how do you know who stole the body? This is a really dumb argument. This is a really dumb story to make up. I mean, you should have made, if you're going to give them a lot of money, you should have made up a better story than this one. It should have been really cool. Like if I was going to make up the story, this is the story I would make up. We are trained guards, but there were only 12 of us. And there were 300 of them. And we killed 275 of them before they put knives to our throats. And we begged for our lives. And they said we could go if we would receive Jesus. And so we said yes, so that we could live. And then we left and, seven, and 25 of them stole the body. That's the story I'd make up. I wouldn't make up some stupid story like I was asleep and now I know who stole the body. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Another reason that we believe that Jesus came back from the dead is the message of Jesus would have died out in the first or second century if he was just another guy who died on a Roman cross. I mean, there were, there were tens of thousands of people that died on Roman crosses. We don't even remember another single one of them. See, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead and people weren't willing to make this story their life, it would have died out quickly. It would have just been another guy, uh, another guy that was popular for a little bit and then he was gone. Another random story in Palestine of a guy that thought he was a good leader, but he amounted to nothing. That would have been the story of Jesus. Actually, wouldn't even, we wouldn't even know the story of Jesus. We wouldn't even care. It wouldn't even be written in history. There wouldn't be a Bible. It wouldn't even be here. There'd be no reason to even have him written in a history book anywhere. But he did come back. And since he came back, we have this story. The last reason that we know that Jesus is alive is because of you and me. You and I have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is alive in our hearts. The reason that we can say Jesus is alive is because he lives inside of us. I know he lives inside of me. I can tell you 100%, I would be a completely different person today, right now, if I did not have Jesus. If you look back at my family history, it doesn't look like me. It doesn't look like the Jesus in me. It looks like alcoholism. That's what it looks like. So I'd be an alcoholic, and I probably would have divorced Kate by now, and been rude and mean to my kids, and kicked everyone to the curb around me. That would be my life. I would have just followed the generations that were before me. But I, that's totally different 
because the curse of that has been broken in me because of Jesus. And I know the curse in your life has been broken because of what Jesus has done in you. You and I, we are the reason that we know Jesus is alive because he has miraculously touched our lives. These are all facts about why Jesus has come back from the dead. Now, why does that matter? Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. When you get right down to it, the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. It means God visited our planet. It means Jesus taught us truths that we should live our lives by. It means Jesus died for our brokenness so that we could be forgiven. It means that Jesus did actually come back to life to conquer death so that we could believe in him and have heaven as our home. It means that you and I can have power to live the life God intended for us to live right now in 2023 and in the future. It means that we can be healed physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally in our lives. We can truly live healthy lives today exactly like what God wanted us to because Jesus is alive inside of us. It means no power of evil can conquer us who believe in Jesus. And it means awesome things get to be a part of our life like love and joy, peace, acceptance, patience, kindness, forgiveness, faithfulness, It means that we have purpose and value and hope for our future. That's what the resurrection of Jesus does because the resurrection of Jesus changes our lives today. Now look with me at one of the events that happened after Jesus was alive. Luke records this moment in chapter 24 and I want to read this section to us and then just make a couple of comments about the things that Jesus said in this moment. Now, let me just set the stage for us really quick. Jesus has died on the cross. He's come back to life. A couple of the disciples have seen him. Mary Magdalene has seen him. Some other ladies have seen him. Uh, The gentlemen on the road to Emmaus have seen him. Uh, so, So some other people have seen him. It's starting to gain significance and understanding. But the disciples are still pretty scared. They're still scared that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are going to come and kill them like they did Jesus. So they're hanging out in a room and the doors are locked and this moment happens. Just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets 
and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Now look at some of the things that Jesus said and asked. The first thing that Jesus said is peace be with you. Now this is a major theme throughout the New Testament. It's a major thing. We saw it when Jesus was born. The angels declared that Jesus would bring peace. And now here in this moment, after Jesus has risen from the dead, the first thing he says is peace be with you. See, peace is huge. It's enormous. It's what every single one of us needs. Your heart and my heart and every single heart on this planet right now is yearning for peace. Now, I don't mean world peace. Like we all want world peace, but that's not what your heart is yearning for. Your heart is yearning to know your Savior. Your heart wants to know your Heavenly Father. That, that void that's in you that, you, that you start to feel a little bit filled when you're in church or somebody talks to you about Jesus, that's the void that's there because Jesus hasn't filled it yet. When Jesus comes in, you receive peace. You receive peace, and we need peace because our world is full of chaos, isn't it? Our world is full of trouble and anxiety and depression and evil and chaos. And right in the middle of our lives and our world, we need peace in our heart and in our mind and in our spirit. And only Jesus can bring that. You can have peace right now. This peace is from Jesus. It's peace with God, peace with yourself, so you can look in the mirror and say, I like that person. I love what I see in the mirror because that is a creation of God. And I love what I see. That's peace. Peace with yourself. Peace in every situation of your life. Peace in every circumstance that you're going through, whether it's a really good day or a really bad day, you can have an extraordinary, miraculous peace because Jesus is in your life. Another thing that Jesus said in this section is an interesting question, and I think it's a good question for us today and was a good question for the disciples then. It was this question. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Now, that's a good question. Why are our hearts filled with doubt about Jesus. Now, the disciples that were in the room, it's a good question for them because Jesus is standing right in front of them. And he's like, come on, guys. I'm right here. Look at me. Touch me. Here's the holes in my hands and my feet. Give me something to eat so I can eat it and you can watch me eat. This is not a mirage in front of you. This is not a mistake. You're not looking at a myth. This is not some spiritual dream you're in. This is the real me. I'm really here and I'm really in front of you. And that took them a little bit to work through that. They were filled with doubt because it was so unbelievable what was happening. It was so unbelievable that their teacher and their Lord and their Savior and their Messiah had risen from the dead and he was right in front of them. Well, how about you? How about you today? Why are you filled with doubt about Jesus? 
What are the things that you talk yourself through to always talk yourself out of being in relationship with Jesus? What are those things that you're doubting? Why are you doubting Jesus when all of the evidence and the facts point to this person, Jesus, being real and dying for you? Is it because it's an old story? It's just some religious fable? Well, that's a good question. But I would say that we have a whole bunch of new stuff in our world, and it's fun stuff, it's great stuff. But let me ask you a question about our new stuff and our new ideas and our new technology and our new philosophies that leave Jesus out. Let me ask us a question. Is any of that making us better humans today? I would venture that the answer is no. Another question I would ask is, do you doubt every old story or just the old story about Jesus? Like, are all the stories that your grandpa tell you 100% true? <laughs> right? But for some reason, the old story about Jesus is all a fabrication. See, there are some things in our modern world that are designed to bring us doubt about Jesus because the enemy of your soul and mine does not want you to have peace. He does not want you to have salvation. He does not want heaven to be your home. But can I assure you today, heaven can 100% be your home because Jesus is alive and he wants to come and have relationship with you. Have you ever given serious thought to the consequences of believing what is false in our world today? Some serious consequences about what's false in our world. And how are those false ideas and doubts about Jesus, how are they affecting your life today? The last thing Jesus said that I want to point out is, he said this, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. See, Jesus came to set us free. That's what forgiveness means. It means to be free. It means to be free from the brokenness that every single one of us knows is inside of us. We all know what our own brokenness is. We all know that it's there. And we all know that it's real. And Jesus came to heal it. He came to set us free from it. And he came to make us new. See, Jesus wants a relationship with you. He did his part. His part was to die on the cross and come back to life. Our part is to repent of our sin, believe in our heart, and live for Jesus. Now, all of these things that we've talked about this morning are huge. They're all important. There's fact, and there's faith. There's things that Jesus did for you, and there's things that you can do for him. The big question, too, is though, what are you going to do next? What you do next is very important. Because what we do next, and if you don't know Jesus, what you do next has consequences. See, what we believe about Jesus and how we handle our doubt has consequences. So let me ask you a question. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you see the facts that point to him? Have you seen evidence of be Jesus being alive and other people around you? Have you even seen moments in your own life when God was trying to get your attention because he wants relationship with you? 
Have you seen those moments in your life and for some reason, just as quickly as they come into your mind and into your heart, something steals them away? I'm hoping that this morning, in this room and in this moment, if you don't know Jesus, that you would make a commitment to him this morning and that you would not let anything steal the great relationship that God wants to have with you. Now, there's a way that the Bible talks about you and I making this relationship with Jesus. It's fairly simple. The Bible says all we have to do is confess our sins and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. But there's another really important next step that the Bible talks about. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 28 and it's all throughout the rest of the New Testament. It's a thing called water baptism. Water baptism is a way for you and I to show ourselves and the world around us that we have repented of our sins, that we believe in Jesus, and so we get baptized in water. Now let me talk about this just for a minute because I want to give us this morning an opportunity to get baptized in water if you want to. It's a pretty simple act. Basically, someone just dunks you in water And we dunk you in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because the water represents something. The water is a representation of something powerful that you are believing. You're believing in Jesus. You're believing that Jesus died on a cross to forgive you and he is alive to help you live for him today. What you believe is that old water, that when you go under the water and you come up, your old life is being washed away. Your sin is being washed away. Forgiveness is completely covering your life and you have a new life to start. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your old life is gone and your new life in Jesus is starting. That's what you are declaring. So we have some warm water right here To my right, well, yeah, to my right, your left. Now, we put warm water in there because, well, frankly, we love you. (laughs) And we think Jesus loves you. And we just think it would be a lot better than going outside and breaking ice off of something and throwing you in. So here's what we're going to do with the rest of our time. We're going to sing. We're going to finish our time together with just some worship and some singing. And the worship team has prepared some great songs for us to sing. And the water is available for you. It's ready. This is your moment. This is your chance right now to get out of your seat and say yes to Jesus. To say, I want a relationship with Jesus. If you'd like to believe in Jesus and get baptized this morning, I'm going to tell you how you can do that. After we stand up and start singing, you can go right out those back doors and Amanda will help you. Amanda's right back there. She's waving her hand right there by the door. And she will help you get some, we have some shorts and shirts for you that you could change into so that you could get wet in the water unless you want to get wet in your own clothes. That's fine too. In fact, that'd be totally awesome. But if you want to change into something so you have some dry clothes after two, uh, we have some clothes for you. We have a towel for you. We've got all that set up. It's ready to go so that you can make a decision to say yes to Jesus this morning. Now also, maybe you've been serving Jesus for a while 
and for whatever reason, you haven't got baptized in water. Well, today's your day. Uh, there's something that, that I believe about my relationship with Jesus. When Jesus asks me to do something, I should always say, yes. Yes, Lord. And so this morning, baptism is available. If you haven't said yes to baptism and you're serving Jesus, today's your day. Say yes to him today and begin to follow him in an even greater way. Now, we only have one small request about baptisms, and that is that we ask that you are 12 years old or older. We do this for a reason. We do this because we believe what the Bible says. The Bible says that you need to repent and believe in Jesus before you get water baptized. And so we believe that you can't do that as an infant, and you can only do it when you are mature enough to do that. And we've just, we didn't like pick an age out of the hat, but we did say 12's a pretty good age where you can start to know, hey, I think I wanna serve Jesus the rest of my life. And I can make that decision for myself and I'm gonna make it today. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna sing, we're gonna worship the Lord. If you'd like to get baptized in water, just head on out those doors and we'll help you prepare for that. And we'll baptize you while we're singing. All right, could you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for an opportunity to believe in you, to say yes to you, to be encouraged to believe and, and know that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he died for our sins, and he wants a great relationship with us. Jesus, I pray that you would touch all of our hearts right now this morning. Those of you that don't, have never said yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you, make today the day. Make today the day of your salvation where you say yes to Jesus, where you start a relationship with him and believe in him forevermore. Make heaven your home. For those that just have not got baptized yet, I encourage you to say yes to Jesus this morning as well. We give you thanks and praise, Jesus. Would you hear our praise and our songs to you this morning as our thanks for your death and your resurrection? In Jesus' name we pray, we all said, amen.